The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to NeuroMatters, the brink of Alzheimer's with Dr. Sam Brinkman. Our program brings together individuals who struggle with Alzheimer's disease or other disorders and noted professionals who can provide answers and timely information related to these disorders. Now, here is your host, Dr. Sam Brinkman. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to NeuroMatters, the brink of Alzheimer's. I am your host, Dr. Sam Brinkman, and I welcome you to our program on Alzheimer's disease and the dementias. We have discussed in previous episodes that cognitive difficulties can be caused by many things. We've talked about the more common dementias, such as Alzheimer's disease or vascular dementia, and we recently talked about chronic traumatic encephalopathy, the result of multiple concussions. Today, we are going to talk about something called chemobrain, the development of cognitive impairments during cancer therapy. Our guest today is Dr. Christina Myers, Professor Emeritus of Neuropsychology at MD Anderson Cancer Center in Houston. Dr. Myers has been a pioneer in research regarding the effects of cancer and cancer treatment on central nervous system functioning. Her research has addressed the biological and the non-biological reasons that chemo brain might develop and has also addressed uh, approaches to identifying persons who may be at increased risk. Her research has also addressed neurocognitive outcomes as part of the development of new cancer treatments. So come on in. Grab a cup of coffee and pull up a seat. Let's have a good discussion about chemo brain. Dr. Myers, welcome to the program. Thank you very much. I appreciate well, being on here. Well, on behalf of the listeners, I'm very grateful to you for sharing your knowledge and experience with our listeners. Mm-hmm. Now, in the interest of full disclosure, Dr. Myers, I have to point out that you and I attended graduate school together yes, we many did. years ago <laughs> at the <laughs> University of Houston. Yes, and with I, Dr. Yeah, with Dr. Daniel Shear, if I recall correctly. That is the man. That's correct. He's the one that <laughs> put the the final stamp on the on the approval for graduation. So, a lot of years have gone by since then, and it yes. is uh, it's uh, wonderful to catch up with you. Yes. And I have to say, I am so impressed with what you have done over the years. Oh, you know. Um, you have taken this body of knowledge that we call neuropsychology, this body of knowledge and techniques, and applied it to an area where it had seldom been applied before. And I really respect and admire what you've done in that area. Yeah, well, you know, uh, serendipity has <laughs> has a little <laughs> bit in, in there, too. I kind of fell into it. But, yeah, I was very, very lucky to be a neuropsychologist and end up in a cancer center where it really hadn't been a, a an, an issue, and it was an issue, and it was very hard to convince people it was an issue, actually. Yes, you were pushing against the stream with that. Well, let's begin here. Now, cancer is a word that everyone has heard of, and mm-hmm. uh, an unfortunately large number of, number of people have had experience with. What yeah. exactly is cancer? Yeah, 
Well, technically, it is some cells in some organ of the body, and it could be um, the blood, it could be the bone marrow, it could be the lung, it could be the breast, it could be the prostate, but something stops cells from not dividing so that they divide um, continually, and that's a real big problem, and, and they're resistant to, you know, you can't stop them from dividing, so they just keep going and going. So basically, a cancer is, I guess, genetically programmed to divide and, and replicate itself a certain number of times and then stop. And well, it doesn't cancer- stop because what it does is that they're very smart cells. They actually form blood vessels themselves to feed themselves. So they, are smart. they actually, the, the cancers themselves feed themselves with, with new blood vessels that are only for, that, for the cancer. Uh, so it's very difficult. So when we look at this uh, very complex process of cancer, uh, there are a number of different treatment approaches that are taken. Would you just kind of go over the, the major areas of treatment that address uh, cancer at this point? The, the main, okay, probably the mainstay of cancer therapy is radiation. Uh, that's still the mainstay. There's chemotherapies of all different sorts. And now, because they're doing uh, so much uh, research in tumor genetics, there's targeted therapies. So, you know, if you have a cancer, they will analyze it uh, and, and cytogenetically and, and figure out maybe a targeted therapy f- for that particular thing. So it's getting more and more, uh, I guess you would call personalized medicine, but there, there are more and more personalized approaches to treating cancer. But the mainstay is still the same old cytotoxic drugs and radiation. Now, the, this whole idea of cognitive changes um, associated with the cancer or associated with the cancer treatment is interesting. And, of course, we've known for many, many years that cancers of the brain would be usually associated with sensory and motor and cognitive changes. Mm-hmm. But um, finding this in non-brain cancer, this is a fairly recent thing, isn't it? It's a fairly recent thing. It's probably the last six six years, if you call that recent, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, but yes, uh, about one-third of cancer patients, and we've studied this in uh, women with breast cancer, men with testicular cancer, uh, all kinds of people with um, leukemia, all across the board, one-third of, of these uh, individuals have cognitive problems prior to treatment because the cancer's in their body. And it's a reaction of their body to having the cancer in there. Now, I love the model. Well, we don't Uh know exactly, but there's a lot of uh, ideas about it. But one-third of cancer patients across the board, across, across every type of cancer, have the cognitive problems before they even start treatment. I was very surprised to hear that, actually, and and yet hearing it, I guess it makes sense in some ways, but the problem is how do we explain it? I love the model that uh, you sent me of seed, soil, and pesticides from a good <laughs> Missouri girl <laughs> in discussing the causes of cognitive dysfunction. What Would you explain what this model means? 
Okay. Well, let me. Um, the seed would be the cancer. So you know, somebody gets cancer, whatever it's breast cancer, prostate cancer, or or leukemia, whatever. Uh, the soil is the person. So they have their own genetic um, makeup, you know, to deal with this. And the pesticides are, unfortunately, the therapies that we have to offer, uh, <laughs> which can also cause problems. So, you know, you have, you have um, potentially adverse effects on all, all three sides. So when we talk about cognitive deficits existing in a third of cancer patients before, cognitive, before cancer therapy begins, I guess we're talking about the soil and the seed there, right? That, that would be correct, right, because the pesticides haven't even kicked in yet. So it may be that the person has a very robust inflammation reaction, which could cause all kinds of problems, um, including cognitive problems. Um, or they may have hormonal uh, um, uh, difficulties, or they may have an autoimmune phenomenon. So just like type 1 diabetes and uh, juvenile diabetes, you know, you, you build up antibodies against the, the, this invader, and then it kind of attacks other places you don't want to have attacked, <laughs> basically. Right. And that can happen. So, yeah, that's three possibles, and I'm sure there's more than that. Is there any one type of cancer other than brain cancer that tends more to be associated with cognitive deficits than the others? No, I mean, I think anything that goes to the brain is going to be, you know, obviously um, more specifically cognitively, um, you know, uh, challenged. So primary and metastatic brain cancer are definitely uh, on the top. Uh, the, the other ones are much more subtle, much more subtle, but very, very significant nonetheless. What are the types of cognitive problems that people are experiencing when they have cancer but they have not started treatment for the cancer? Um, well, there's a, a couple of things, and, and they're usually, and there's more than one symptom be, besides cognitive, uh, because um, the the symptoms tend to cluster. So the cognitive part is destructibility. It's memory retrieval. So it's a little bit different from the dementia that you normally talk about, which is like rapid forgetting. This is not recollecting, you know, like tip of the tongue phenomena, uh, you know, and you come up with the actor's name that you were trying to think of at 2 o'clock in the morning, that kind of thing. <laughs> um, it is sleep disturbance is huge. It's absolutely huge. And actually, where I worked at MD Anderson Cancer Center, they have a sleep lab because they actually put one in because it's a gigantic problem. Fatigue, cancer-related fatigue is huge. And, of course, if you're not sleeping well and you're tired, it's hard to think straight. Uh, And, of course, if you're not functioning like you want, you might also have an add-on of depression or anxiety or something, which is not going to help. And if you have pain or whatever, uh, you know, all of these add up. 
Dr. Myers, what is the nature of the sleep disturbance that they see in the sleep lab? I, you know, they don't know. They're, again, looking at inflammation in cytokines, but it is, it's truly under, you know, I mean, it's, it's absolutely just being researched now, but nobody knows. But people who have cancer have a higher incidence of sleep disturbance and sleep apnea without the usual... Uh, you know, what, what you might consider, you know, like people have sleep apnea, you know, there's certain, you know, you might be overweight or whatever. They don't have that. It's without any of those prodromal um, symptoms. So it's huge. So there's a big aberration in, in the a biology of, of the body, basically, yes. that, that contributes to this. And, of course, as you know, sleep is not a passive state, but is a very dynamic and very active state, and components of sleep are critically important to the memory consolidation process, as we used to call it, and things like that. Absolutely, absolutely. And, like I say, I think even I'm a neuropsychologist, and, of course, the cognitive part is what I mostly, but I had to go into sleep disturbance and fatigue because it's so intertwined. What uh, do people experience as these cognitive problems develop? I suspect that this happened initially uh, when people were reporting to the uh, healthcare providers that they were having difficulty with problem solving or remembering or things like that. What is the experience like? The experience is uh, hopefully changing over time. At first, it was just blown off. You know, you've got cancer, you know, we got, we're going to deal with this. You know, we're not worrying about anything else. Uh, more and more, uh, th- there's the kind of a wholeness of, of treating symptoms along with the cancer, and that is definitely coming back into play much better. Uh, so, you know, it, it depends... You know, it depends on who you talk to, but if you say that you're having trouble recalling things, uh, or or basic, or stop, uh, you know, you can't think of words, you know, in a sentence, which I'm doing right now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, that kind of thing. You know, if so, or or you can't sleep right, that needs to be taken very seriously because it it really impacts the course of the illness and how well you do. Well, thank you, Dr. Myers. We are going to go to a break, and when we return, we will talk about how these things are addressed. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Where did I put my keys? What was I supposed to pick up at the grocery store? Why did I forget that appointment? These and other experiences cause us to wonder whether we or our loved ones are experiencing normal memory changes with age or whether we are developing significant cognitive deficits. 
The Gray Matter System provides an efficient, economical, accurate approach to monitoring memory and executive functioning in older adults who are at increased risk of developing dementia. Gray Matters may be used in a primary medical care setting, long-term care facilities, retirement communities, and other settings. The system allows for determining whether an individual's memory abilities and executive functioning are in the expected range for age and education, and whether these abilities have changed significantly over time. As a result, older individuals can be given the assurance that they are maintaining good brain health. Gray Matters is a caring, proactive approach to managing the worries of cognitive decline in older persons. Gray Matters. Screen for memory disorders or forget it. Every day we face struggles and issues concerning addiction, whether it's ourselves, family members, friends, or other loved ones. On Overcoming Addiction, Hope with Prevention, Intervention, and Treatment, Dr. Joe Terhar helps us all better understand the causes and approaches to addressing addiction with the knowledge that no single approach is 100% effective. From guest experts, families, and addicts, you'll hear about what is and is not working in overcoming addiction. Tune in Wednesdays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Health & Wellness. You are listening to Neuro Matters, the brink of Alzheimer's. To reach Dr. Brinkman or his guest expert today, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send questions or comments about the show via email to sdbrinkman at hotmail.com. Now, back to Neuro Matters. And we are back. Thank you for staying with us. We are talking with Dr. Christina Myers, Professor Emeritus of Neuropsychology at MD Anderson Cancer Center in Houston, Texas. And uh, Dr. Meyer, again, I'm so grateful to you for being on the show. You pointed out that about a third of people with cancer have some cognitive impairments even before any type of uh, cancer treatment begins. And um, it certainly raises the question of the role of the distress that a person might be experiencing having received that diagnosis. But your research has showed something very interesting there. What did it show? Um, The research shows that people are are very clearly distressed with this very bad diagnosis and uh, a hard hard road to hoe, basically, in terms of treatment. But it doesn't correlate with the, uh, the cognitive problems, so they're 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 coexist, but they they don't correlate with each other. So it doesn't the distress isn't causing it. The distress is separate. How is the time course of cognitive change when treatment is initiated and uh, and eventually terminated? Is this a permanent change? Is this a temporary change? Boy, that's that's a that's a tough question because it's extremely variable and it depends on the person. That would be the the soil as we talked. Um, right. And some some people don't have it at all. You know, they just fly through and don't have any problems. Some people have problems before they start treatment, but they don't get any worse. 
you know, and they just go motor on as they are. Some people start out just fine, and they get worse, and they get worse, and they get worse, and they get worse. And so it's an extraordinarily variable thing. That's where a lot of the research is because some people appears to be permanent, um, and I, I, I'm not. It's not real terribly severe, but it's it's there. Uh, a lot of people get better, and a lot of people don't have a problem at all. So you know that's where the research needs to go. And of course, genetics of, of the person. And so uh, the key predictors then, and you've outlined several categories of predictors of who will develop the cognitive impairment. You had mentioned the person or the soil, uh, the disease or the seed, mm-hmm. the treatment, and then the interactions among those. Would you talk a little bit about that? Okay. So the interaction is that you have a person with a genetic makeup and uh, I got this from uh, my colleagues in molecular epidemiology, actually, because they study how tumors response, respond to treatment. And this is where it came from, actually. So let's say you have in the tumor, you know, the cancer you have, you have uh, an, a, a genetic allele that doesn't allow DNA to repair and uh-huh. so if you get radiation or chemotherapy, that's, that would mean the tumor would be, you know, more responsive. But if it's in your regular tissues, it might be a problem. Uh, if you have a metabolizing gene that doesn't allow toxins to metabolize very well, if it's in your tumor, that's great because that means the chemotherapy is going to hang around for longer and your tumor is going to respond better. But if it's your normal tissues, that might not be so good. Um, you know, so we, we're looking at those kind of genetic, um, oh, oh, and I think the inflammation pathway genes are very important. Uh, if you have an inflammation allele that allows for a very robust inflammatory response to uh something like radiation or chemotherapy in your tumor, that's great. If it's not, if it's in your normal tissue, it may cause a problem. So I think that sorting that out, so, you know, a personalized medicine, you know, kind of in quotes, is something that's really true because what's going to happen in cancer is that when somebody has cancer, their tumor is going to be analyzed very, very genetically analyzed, and so is the person. So you can know what the person's at risk for and what the tumor might respond to, and you kind of get the, you know, it's moving along really beautifully, actually. Well, there has been so much progress, and I think that uh, if we go back to uh, my childhood days, the mm-hmm. cancer was uh, nearly a death pronouncement, it and was, yeah. uh, and then we have gone through a period where people could continue to function in many roles of life, uh, 
<laughs> and uh, uh, continue to uh, work to manage a household and things like that. Mm-hmm. And I think it's wonderful that we are in a place with cancer treatment where we can now address these more subtle, although still very devastating, um, effects that come about either due to the cancer or due to the cancer treatment. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And the other thing is to make sure that every other symptom that might be contributing to the overall distress is addressed. I mean, um, having a regular internal medicine eval, because when people have cancer, sometimes they're so focused on it, they forget maybe their um, hypertension or their diabetes or, you know, whatever. And that means, you know, you have to keep on top of that too. And there are lots of things to done to help? Well, there are so many um, underlying conditions, uh, pre-existing conditions in Mm -hmm. place, and and I can see that it would be very easy to overlook those things. And and it happens because people are so focused on on everything else, but having just a regular internal, you know, medicine person on board is very important uh, to make sure that everything is, you know, is, is good. So what is the current standard then in addressing these cognitive changes? A person's given a diagnosis of um, breast cancer or prostate cancer or something like that. At what point does someone with a um, background in cognitive functioning come into play here? Um, well, it, the person needs a, 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 a big you know, a, a, a evaluation. Because it, chemo brain, as we've been talking about it, is a, a diagnosis of exclusion. There's a lot of things that could contribute to people not being um, cognitively sharp, and it could be uh, some of the other cognitive, uh, some of the other symptoms of, of uh, cancer, as I mentioned, you know, like fatigue and pain and sleep disturbance. All of those can certainly make you not think sharp. Uh, it could be um, a coexisting neurologic or psychiatric disorder, which would be unfortunate, but that happens. Uh, it could be a lot of things. So uh, so the, a, a person needs to have a, a, a pretty thorough workup, uh, internal medicine, neuropsychology, you know, the, the whole bit. And as a result of that workup, then a multitude of factors may be identified, mm-hmm. each of which may be addressed one way or another, and hopefully right. the, the overall functioning of the person improves significantly. Yes, and the thing is, you, um, the, the, I think the major opinion is that every single symptom should be addressed very aggressively. So if, if there is a, a significant fatigue factor, for instance, maybe a neurostimulant would be indicated. Uh, you know, sleep disturbance has its whole a range of, of, of therapies. Uh, endocrine dysfunction, for sure, has a whole range of therapies. Uh, if borderline anemia, you know, has a range of therapies. So, yes, I, I think every... Um, it, there, there is no question that 
people with cancer have multiple symptoms, and each symptom should be addressed aggressively, including depression, including anxiety, including, you know, cognitive impairment. You know, one of the things that we have seen in the um, dementia research is that the existence of cognitive impairment uh, together with any of a number of chronic illnesses, chronic renal failure, hypertension, uh, uh, vascular disease, and things like that, the coexistence of dementia, even mild dementia, with that other condition markedly increases the cost of care for that condition. And, of course, there are many reasons for that. You have mentioned... Um, that the cognitive impairment associated with the cancer or with the treatment of the cancer also complicates the treatment of the cancer. Is that correct? It does. It does. Um, because, uh, <laughs> thankfully, quality of life has come a little bit more into play in the cancer world. And people are now, it's not just a longer life, but a better life. <laughs> uh, <laughs> That's and that uh, absolutely overlaps with the general dementia research as well. You know, mm-hmm. in dementia, of course, we have a dis- uh, we have many disorders. Some are reversible, twenty percent or so, but there are many disorders that are truly not reversible. But symptom management and um, uh, uh, let's say environmental organization and things like that can make a big difference. Mm-hmm. Um, And in a little bit, we're going to take a break in uh, a little less than a minute here, but I will uh, appreciate you addressing that issue for us as well. Uh, These cognitive impairments are seen, they're addressed, uh, the different components of the cognitive impairments are addressed, and one then may be left with some specific cognitive impairments, and I will look forward to you in just a little bit. Dr. Myers talking with us about how those are addressed. We are going to a break. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Can grief be good for you? Absolutely. It gets your attention, helping you evaluate your choices and relationships. Your losses define who you are. Tune in each week for Good Grief with host Cheryl Jones. Our show features those who have made incredible transformations by grieving their losses. You'll learn how to find your courage and strength. You'll discover the important things in your life and how to let go of things that are less important. Good Grief airs live Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Health & Wellness. Where did I put my keys? What was I supposed to pick up at the grocery store? Why did I forget that appointment? These and other experiences cause us to wonder whether we or our loved ones are experiencing normal memory changes with age or whether we are developing significant cognitive deficits. The Gray Matter System provides an efficient, economical, accurate approach to monitoring memory and executive functioning in older adults who are at increased risk of developing dementia. Gray matters may be used in a primary medical care setting, long-term care facilities, retirement communities, and other settings. The system allows for determining whether an individual's memory abilities and executive functioning are in the expected range for age and education, and whether these abilities have changed significantly over time. As a result, older individuals can be given the assurance that they are maintaining good brain health. 
Gray Matters is a caring, proactive approach to managing the worries of cognitive decline in older persons. Gray Matters. Screen for memory disorders or forget it. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You are listening to Neuro Matters, the brink of Alzheimer's. To reach Dr. Brinkman or his guest expert today, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send questions or comments about the show via email to sdbrinkman at hotmail.com. Now, back to Neuro Matters. And thank you for staying with us. We are so fortunate to have the opportunity to talk with Dr. Christina Myers about her research on cognitive changes uh, associated with cancer and associated with cancer treatments. She is professor of Emer- uh, professor emeritus of neuropsychology. I look forward to being an emeritus someday at uh, MD Anderson Cancer Center in Houston. So, Dr. Myers, um, welcome back to our third segment. We mm-hmm. talked about identifying the patients that have neurocognitive changes uh, with cancer and and then um, the different course that that, that that may take during cancer treatment. How do you address these changes? Um, the, main, the main thing is symptom assessment. You have to ask the person how they're feeling, obviously, and that could be pain, fatigue, sleep disturbance, uh, memory problems, problems focusing, difficulty keeping up at work, whatever it is, that you make sure that every time they come into the clinic, you ask them the questions, and then you know what to do, you know, depending on their answers, whether it's sleep or fatigue or if it's cognitive or whatever it is, you know who to, who to have, um, bring them to to help them function better. One of the things that you had mentioned is um, the area of uh, medication treatment mm-hmm. and uh, modafinil as an example, you know, a, a, mm-hmm. a markedly less addictive um, uh, stimulant medication in comparison to most of the stimulants. Have you seen success with that? Um, I would say my clinic in terms of treating, because um, one of the major cognitive problems with, uh, associated with cancer treatment and, uh, and cancer itself is distractibility and, and uh, attentional difficulties. Um, we we uh, probably prescribe more stimulants than any school district in America. <laughs> in That's a lot. That's, That's quite a lot. A lot. <laughs> <laughs> and it was usually Ritalin, actually, but... Um, because it's cheap. <laughs> but, <laughs> yes. The, the, but the, the truth is stimulants, stimulants can be extremely effective against fatigue, against the attentional difficulties and retrieval, uh, memory retrieval problems that people experience. It can be just amazingly effective. One of the things that you also indicated that's being used are the cytokine antagonists. Mm-hmm. Would you talk briefly they're, about they're, yeah, what cytokine or cytokine the, is? Uh, 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 discovery phase right now. Uh, there's not a, a really. Uh, there's they're basically in, in clinical trials at the moment, so there's nothing out there right now that you could just say this is you know 
going to work for you, but it's it is uh, out there. And the good, the interesting thing is that some of these cytokine antagonists um, are also possibly anti-cancer agents. So if you could get two bangs for the bunk, that would be great. Yes, that's interesting uh, because cytokine does play um, a key role as a cellular messenger, and so it would make sense that it could be therapeutically effective there as well. Yeah, in right. The, so in the in the, uh, yeah, in the dementia yeah. so literature, they're all clinical of course, trials at the moment, so there's nothing out there FDA approved at, at, so far, but they're they're in the pipeline. In the dementia literature, there's been uh, interest, and there's one medication that's been approved as a neuroprotective agent, that medication uh, being Namenda. Uh, mm-hmm. Namenda basically uh, blocks a receptor that's involved in excitotoxicity. Mm-hmm. Um, I understand that there is a potential neuroprotective agent that may be available here, although it's just in animal research at this time. Is that correct? Yeah, well, Namenda actually, we uh, did a trial in, um, uh, with patients who have brain metastasis to prevent um, r- radiation toxicity because radiation to the brain is the main therapy, and of course that has its own toxicity, and it actually helped. So it's actually maybe very helpful there. But yes, there are a, a number of things in the pipeline that are... Um, uh, anti-inflammatory agents, uh, anti-cytokine agents, uh, um, let's see, uh, antioxidants. Uh, but uh, the the main the main difficulty with cancer is that you cannot undermine the cancer treatment. So part of the difficulty is that. So at least we've got very, we're getting better animal models for these studies, which is really, really important because the thing is you don't want to give somebody a drug that actually protects them from these symptoms but actually feeds their cancer at the same time. And that has happened. Yes, I see what you're saying. uh, Yeah, I mean, this is a very, this is a real difficult deal. So... So they're developing animal models. So the the animals will the, the this next wave of animal models will have they'll have rodents with cancer and give them various potential neuroprotective agents. And not only will they find whether or not they protect them from cognitive problems, that is, they remember how to get around their maze or you know whatever, but not feed the tumor. And that's really where the cutting edge is right now. A very complicated path for medication development, I know. It's extremely complicated. But the, but the animal models have really developed over the last maybe five, five years, four, four or five years, uh, really beautifully to try to make sure that you don't feed the tumor and you do what you want to do symptom-wise. Now, let's focus a little bit on conserving energy because energy is in short, short supply with cancer and with it cancer is. treatment. And, of course, part of that is associated with the sleep 
problems and with the metabolic and endocrine problems that can arise. How would you suggest that someone who is having a low energy level manage or conserve their energy? Well, um, there's a couple things. Taking a nice long nap in the middle of the day, you can manage it <laughs> a good deal. Uh, and I actually can do that myself because I'm retired. Um, yes, you are. <laughs> uh, it, it depends on what your workload is and what you do for a living. So a lot of the impact of these symptoms like fatigue and cognitive issues depend on where you are in your developmental stage, you know, uh, uh-huh. uh, in, in your life and what the demands are on you. And some people have less flexibility on that than others. So having a quick nap, if you don't really have enough time, is a good thing. If you can pace yourself or if you can do flexible hours or job sharing, you know, there's all kinds of possibilities. Definitely... People who are more type A, uh, you know, controlled types, you need to start delegating. <laughs> yeah. You need to start delegating. Let your secretary handle the calls, you know. <laughs> um, take breaks. And, and there's a very big role for exercise. And actually, there's a huge, really wonderful um, literature on exercise, it mostly comes out of Germany, funny enough, but it, well, I don't know, it's funny, but that I don't, I'm not talking going to the gym. I'm talking about just very moderate, you know, very moderate exercise, but just keeping moving. Because one of the problems when you have cancer and you're, uh, and, and you're in treatment, you feel horrible. You're tired, you're sick, you feel terrible. And actually, if you can just get yourself moving around a little bit, you know, just around the block or to the mailbox or something, that actually helps a lot. So basically, you're talking about, number one, change expectations and habits mm-hmm. to some extent. And, and number two, address these with a plan. Don't just go with the flow. Don't just try to muscle through it, but uh, accept what your body is telling you and make a plan to manage your activities. Absolutely perfect. Yes, that's exactly right. What about behavioral type intervention strategies for the cognitive changes? Well... There, there are a few. Um, I mean, there's certainly um, rehabilitation strategies um, that help a lot. Uh, there are uh, one of the things I, I do have a problem with is um, I, I'm more of a practical person, so sort of like doing day planners. Uh, keeping lists, you know, having a memory station in the house where, you know, your keys and wallet all go so you don't, you know, run out of the house, forget your keys. You know, really, you know, not rocket science, you know, simple stuff. Um, park in the same place <laughs> if you can <laughs> when yes. you go to work. If you have emeritus status. 
Yeah, yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> uh, relaxation training helps. Um, what I do have a problem with is repetitive mental exercises. Um, and it's not that that's not a good thing because everybody should be mentally sharp and doing mental exercise is good for everybody. I mean, it keeps you kind of up there. Uh, but just to give you a, an idea, uh, I, w- I was giving a talk at a bone marrow transplant survivor group and the young man who introduced me and talked with me got through law school after he had a um, stem cell transplant for lymphoma, got through law school, but he failed his bar exam twice, and you know there's three shots at it, so he only had one more shot. And his wife was having him do Sudoku puzzles. A, he didn't like doing Sudoku puzzles, <laughs> and B, that's not going to help you pass the lab, the bar exam. So, you know, you have to be kind of, you know, repetitive mental ex- exercises, you know, are, are fine, and if you enjoy them, they're fine. But what happens is you get good at that thing. You get you good know, at that that video game or, well, actually, Candy Crush Saga, I'm not getting good at. So, anyway. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> so I have sometimes to say, you my, don't wife get good at your, my wife shares your <laughs> frustration there. But technically there. <laughs> speaking, you get good at that task, but it doesn't generalize to the rest of your aspects of your life. So you have to be kind of like thinking about, well, okay, what do I need to do? you know, to, to get over this hurdle. Well, thank you. And we're going to come back to that uh, point after we return from this break. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Where did I put my keys? What was I supposed to pick up at the grocery store? Why did I forget that appointment? These and other experiences cause us to wonder whether we or our loved ones are experiencing normal memory changes with age or whether we are developing significant cognitive deficits. The Gray Matters system provides an efficient, economical, accurate approach to monitoring memory and executive functioning in older adults who are at increased risk of developing dementia. Gray Matters may be used in a primary medical care setting, long-term care facilities, retirement communities, and other settings. The system allows for determining whether an individual's memory abilities and executive functioning are in the expected range for age and education, and whether these abilities have changed significantly over time. As a result, older individuals can be given the assurance that they are maintaining good brain health. Gray Matters is a caring, proactive approach to managing the worries of cognitive decline in older persons. Gray Matters. Screen for memory disorders or forget it. You are listening to Neuro Matters, the brink of Alzheimer's. To reach Dr. Brinkman or his guest expert today, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send questions or comments about the show via email to sdbrinkman at hotmail.com. Now, back to Neuromatters. 
And we are here with Dr. Christina Myers with um, a very enjoyable discussion and a very informative discussion. And Dr. Myers, we were talking about um, cognitive stimulation programs and things like that. And it's interesting that um, this area sort of began coming to life at the time that you and I were in graduate school. Oh, gosh, that was a while back. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, five, six years, what is it now? Yeah, yeah, about that. (laughs) And, of course, you know, it addressed a very important issue uh, of uh, when you have someone with a neurological disorder of any sort and there are impairments in place, and those impairments are really limiting that person's life, the ability to make a living or participate well in a family or that kind of thing, that uh, having some kind of a rationally based uh, intervention strategy would be so helpful. And as you pointed out uh, before the break, one of the first things that we became aware of is learning to do a Sudoku puzzle does not necessarily make you a better chef, you know. Exactly um, right. <laughs> that there can be a, a marked failure to generalize the effects of the stimulation on one type of task to the kinds of things that uh, we encounter daily. Mm-hmm. Exactly right. So um, I know that many of you who listen to this show are um, actively involved in cognitive stimulation programs, word puzzles, and things like that. This doesn't mean don't do it. Uh, uh, Hopefully it's fun. If it's not fun, find something else. You know, the stimulation uh, certainly is helpful, but it may or may not be helpful to any specific tasks that you are attempting to accomplish. Now, I loved your idea of a memory center in the home. Well, that it's, it's like I say, it's 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 not rocket science. It's just like like all of us, you know, occasionally lose words in conversation, and we occasionally forget where our keys are. And if you know where your keys and your wallet are in one place, you're you're good to go. And that's about developing habits, isn't it? Yes, exactly, exactly. Where do you see future research going? Uh, future research is definitely going into neuroprotection. Uh, there, there will be, uh, in, in, at least in cancer, there's definitely going to be uh, a lot of research into protecting people from these symptoms of cancer and cancer therapy that don't interfere with the cancer treatment itself, uh, but will protect the person from these adverse symptoms. And, and it's very exciting. And like I say, some of it may, in fact, be helpful for the cancer treatment itself since there's a lot of inflammatory stuff involved in cancer. So, um, yeah, I, I think, there's, I think within, within five years, you're going to see a huge change in, in the whole landscape of, of cancer symptoms. Um, that is fascinating. And one of the things that you had also mentioned in terms of future directions is molecular epidemiology. Yeah. Well, what is that about? Well, that, that's about, so they've been doing molecular epidemiology about tumor responsiveness for a long time. You know, they want to know, you know, you have a, if you have a, some kind of a tumor, you know, they, they, and analyze it and figure out, well, what will kill it? Now they're figuring out, well, you need to analyze the 
the person, too, at the same time. So that's going to become a lot more routine so that you will get very personalized medicine. Your, your, your tumor or the cancer will be analyzed uh, cytogenetically, and, every, uh, and so will, you know, the rest of you. So they can really target therapies, and, and there's more targeted therapies all the time, and they'll know what um, your tumor might respond to, but they also will know what you might be vulnerable to, and that's really important, and, and you know, you, you get the best mix. Let's talk for a minute about neuroimaging. And I know that you're going to laugh about the first thing that I mentioned here. I did a rotation at uh, University of Texas Medical Branch in Galveston, and they oh. had this uh, this wonderful piece of equipment. <laughs> More than that, I guess, right? <laughs> they had this wonderful piece of equipment there, and the mm-hmm. neuroradiologist was fascinated by it. Mm-hmm. It was called a CAT scan. Yes. Well, we have- um, I was involved in starting the functional um uh, molecular uh, MRI uh, project at MD Anderson. I did all the all the paradigms to do functional MRI, and that was mostly for uh, brain tumor surgery. Uh, you know, we prepared people for brain tumor surgery by, um, you know, we know they had a brain tumor in a certain place, and so we'd run them through some cognitive tasks and a functional um, magne- magnetic resonance imaging. Uh, uh, area and you know for how 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 could they speak? How could you know all, a, def, a, a lot of different paradigms that we developed, and it really did help a lot for the neurosurgeons actually to do neurosurgery much more um, uh, efficiently. That is, they would get the maximum amount of tumor out and do the minimal amount of damage. So that and I have. And I have to tell you to this day how disappointed I am that I still don't have my own functional MRI equipment. It just disappoints me. (laughs) My own personal use. It's it's rather expensive. (laughs) Well, it has been um, very informative, Dr. Myers, to talk to you. And again, I want to express my appreciation on behalf of the listeners for you taking the time in your busy retirement uh, to share with us the experiences that you've had, the knowledge that you've accumulated and the vision that you've had for future directions as well. I am very grateful to you for that. And as we said at the outset of the program, cognitive impairments are caused by many, many different things. And your discussion certainly reflects that. Um, Next week, we are going to be talking with Dr. Pearl Merritt. Uh, Dr. Merritt is a nationally recognized expert in developing optimum living environments for persons with dementia of many different etiologies. And she's currently the regional dean of Texas Tech University Health Sciences Center School of Nursing. And in that capacity, um, and her, uh, uh, her school uh, building is a fascinating place with the types of, uh, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, Chris, Uh, the types of simulation that they can do Uh to prepare nurses. And uh, she is actually 
also um, working on a research grant to establish models for training nurses to deal with our aging population. And of course, when we talk about our aging population, most certainly we're talking about a population that has increased risk of having cognitive deficits making their medical care more difficult, making their nursing care more difficult. The week after that, we have another guest lined up, and that is Michelle Webb from Charlotte, North Carolina. Michelle is the Director of Dementia Care Services for Pruitt Health. Michelle has been an Alzheimer advocate for a number of years and has been in uh, congressional offices uh, arguing for improvement in the research budget for Alzheimer's disease and the other dementias. And she has also spent a lot of her time in recent years training people around the country in uh, various aspects of long-term care. So I know that you will enjoy the conversation with Michelle. Dr. Chris Myers, my friend, thank you so much. And I hope that we will um, have uh, you in our listening audience next week. I so, will be, uh, be my pleasure. Thank you. And we are finished. Thank you for listening to Neuro Matters, the Brink of Alzheimer's. Please join Dr. Sam Brinkman again next Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We'll talk again next week. We'll be right back.